Good morning. The reading is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, on page 1499 of the Pew Bible. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lynn. Let's pray and ask that God would do as he promises and speak from his word to us this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who speaks. You are not distant and silent, nor do you expect us to somehow find our way to you. You rather, rather, you are a God who loves in grace, who comes to meet with us, who spends a life walking as one of us, who speaks through him and continues to speak through your word and the sending of your own spirit. Lord, as we journey through Matthew together, we ask that you would keep your promise that you've made to speak through your word and to do your works and purposes in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the start of a new year is a good time to take stock of things, isn't it? And to uh, sort of look ahead to things that are coming up, to refresh things the way they are, uh, and to consider what are going to be the sort of priorities over uh, the coming 12 months. Uh, for me, that mostly involves uh, checking that my books are still in alphabetical order, <laughs> and I've got a good supply of coffee in the house, so uh, tick, tick. But more seriously, what will you build your life on this year? What is going to inspire you? What is going to be the thing that gives you hope and purpose, direction, reasons to live and to do the things that you do? Who will you turn to when things get difficult or things get hard? Now, you know that I'm going to say the answer to those questions is Jesus. There's no big surprises there. But why? Why follow him? Why follow someone who says that if we follow him, it means picking up our own cross and sharing in his sufferings? Why follow someone who lived 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away? Why follow someone whose life had no experience of what it was to live in the 21st century. No experience of what it is to live the life that we live. 
What reasons might we have to trust this person with everything? How do we know that he is the one? But I'd like to share with you two answers to those questions that we get right at the beginning here of Jesus' ministry in Matthew's gospel. Two answers, two reasons to believe, either for the first time or just to refresh our belief, to renew our trust at the start of this year because of who he is. Two reasons to believe and to follow Jesus. And the first one is this. Because of human testimony, because of the testimony, the witness, the stories that were told by those who met him. And here at the beginning of Matthew, we have the testimony of John the Baptist. John was a prophet, as we well know. If you look back earlier in that chapter or read it before, you'll see that he fulfills a prophecy made by the prophet Isaiah of the voice of one calling in the desert who prepares the way for the Lord. John is the fulfillment of that prophecy, which points to an even greater fulfillment of the coming Messiah. And here in verse 13 of Matthew's gospel, we're told of this encounter that Jesus has with John. He travels from Galilee to the Jordan, not a long way, to be baptised. It's a baptism that John has been doing, a baptism for the repentance of sins. And that's probably why John seems so confused that Jesus comes to him to be baptised. He can't work out why this man Jesus would come to him, John, in order to be baptised for the forgiveness of his sins. He says, I need to be baptised by you, and yet you come to me? John had seen something in Jesus that made him realise that he was different, that he was unique, that he was in fact holy, sinless, the only one who didn't need to come to John to be baptised for their sin, and yet here he is. John's thinking, well, this should be the other way round. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of something that you've done and you've realised that you're speaking or doing it for someone who's actually far more qualified than you are to do it. It's quite a difficult experience. Occasionally in my life, I've had to give a talk or lead a service in the presence of people who, you know, I've read their books and listened to their talks and I'm very, you know, been inspired by their ministries. And I'm stood here thinking, I'm a bit of a fraud should be the other way round. Now, thankfully, those people, by and large, who are almost entirely, have been humble enough and faithful enough to know that when you're preaching, it's not the quality of the preacher that matters. It's the God that we preach. But you can't help it. And you might have had a similar experience in your own life where you've done something for somebody where you know that they're far more qualified than you are. And that's the experience that John is having here. Why? Jesus, I don't need to baptise you for the forgiveness of sins. You should be baptising me. John sees in Jesus that he is this sinless person. And he's not just going on hearsay. 
Remember that John and Jesus are related. They're cousins. Jesus' mother and John's mother are close. We know that they've met up in the early days of their pregnancies. Families would have seen each other. The boys would have played together. What an experience that must have been. Jesus, you can referee because you'll always be fair. (laughs) I love the fact so much. It gives me such confidence in my faith that some of the earliest followers of Jesus were his family and friends. Because if anyone knows a fraud, it's the people closest to you. If anyone knew that Jesus was just putting on this facade of holiness and sinlessness, it would have been his mum and his siblings and his cousins. They would have very quickly have seen that actually the public persona was nothing like the private reality. But actually here we have John, who would have known him so well, saying, you don't need to be baptised by me. His testimony is of who Jesus really is. And he also now experiences the righteous fulfillment of Jesus. He's clearly met him, he clearly knows him, and he's seen that he's not someone who needs to be baptised for forgiveness of sins. And now he also realises that Jesus is here for a very specific purpose. Jesus replies to John, well, let it be so now. For now, I will be baptised. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. In a sense, Jesus is agreeing with John, I think. He doesn't need to be baptised for his sins. But this is part of the plan of Jesus entering into humanity, of taking our place, of fulfilling this plan that God, the three-in-one, had devised right from the very beginning of salvation coming into humanity through God entering into humanity himself. It is right for them to do this because it is the beginning of Jesus' ministry which will take him one day to the cross. Jesus also didn't need to go to the cross for his sins. And yet he does it in order to fulfill this plan of God's righteousness. And just in the same way at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus didn't need to be baptized for his sins. He had none. But he did it in order to fulfill God's plan of righteousness. John, Matthew, who recorded this for us, Many, many others who met Jesus and spent time with him, including his closest friends, his family, his siblings, his cousins, came to testify that he is the sinless son of God. That we can trust him with everything because he is the one who God had promised. That it is worth even picking up our cross and following after him because to give our life for him is actually to receive new life in him new life that begins now and will last forever. The human testimony of those closest to Jesus was that this is the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised one, and there is no greater choice, no greater decision, no better faith than to follow him. The second reason, the second answer to those questions of why should we follow Jesus follows straight on from John's encounter with him 
And this one is the divine testimony. We hear firstly from John of what Jesus is like, and now the voice of God himself tells us. I'll read it for you. It's verse 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The Father affirms the Son with the Spirit. God three in one. The divine testimony. The divine affirmation of who Jesus is. This is my son whom I love. The beloved son of God. That's worth pointing out, I think. I'm sure most of all, all of us know this. That when the New Testament talks about Jesus as the son, it's not talking about him in the sense of having been born as an offspring of the father. This is something that Jehovah's Witnesses and a few others get themselves caught up in. When Jesus is described as the Son, it's not describing his biological origin, it's describing his divine status. The Son represents the one who is the inheritor of all the glory of creation. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul tells us that it is through all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is the son in the sense that the oldest son represents the one who will inherit the glory, everything in eternity. A part of the grace of God is that he shares that inheritance, that blessing with all those who are in him by faith. I think it's worth pointing that out as we follow Jesus and call him the son of God. We're talking about his title, his status. It's the glory of God the glorified son of God. And here at the start of his ministry, we hear this affirmation, this confirmation from God that this Jesus is his son, whom I love, with whom he is well pleased. It's the stamp of authenticity. It's the hallmark. It's the guarantee of who this Jesus is. Picture perhaps the jeweler, lifting up to the light, the diamond, to check on the authenticity of what it is, to look for those little imperfections that give away that it's not really what it is claimed to be and seeing none, realizing that they hold in their hands this most precious thing because it is flawless and perfect. They've looked and they've checked And so they can give it that stamp, that guarantee, this is a flawless, priceless gem. And God the Father gives to Jesus that stamp, that guarantee, this is my son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. He is beginning to fulfill the plan that they had worked on. And so we see together both John's testimony and the Father, God the Father's testimony, that Jesus is the one to follow. He is, as he himself claimed to be, the way and the truth and the life.
So what does that mean? What does that mean as we start this new year? What does it mean as we read through the Gospel of Matthew together? What does it mean when we walk out of these doors and go home for the rest of the day or wake up on Monday morning or find ourselves feeling a bit tired or disenchanted? A few weeks' time is that day of the year that they say is the the hardest day of the year, the Blue Monday, I think they call it. A few weeks' time, the Christmas lights and sort of excitement still died down, the, the days are still dark, the weather is still cold. What does this mean on that day? Or on any day? Not just when we gather, but as we live this life, as we look out over the year and the years ahead of us. What does it mean to follow this Jesus who both human testimony and divine testimony tells us is the Son of God fulfilling God's plans? Well, it is the biggest decision of our life to follow him. It is not an add-on. He cannot and never can be simply something that we bolt on to the rest of life. Now, sadly, I suppose at times it can feel like that. And maybe some people's experience of church and Christianity and faith is like that. Jesus becomes a, something we think about on a Sunday morning. Better go to church. But when you hear this human testimony and this divine testimony about who he is, he cannot simply be something that just stuck onto life to give it a sort of nice religious sheen. He is everything or he is nothing. It's the biggest decision of our life. Many of us, I suppose, have already made it. We don't need to keep on giving our life to Jesus. Once we've accepted him and given our hearts over to him, repented and believed and received that gift of his Holy Spirit, which he wants to put into our hearts and lives, we don't need to keep doing that. But at the same time, until we're with him in glory, there is always a tendency to drift, to lose that passion or that spark, to forget our first love as the New Testament might call it. Paul tells us to go on being filled with the Spirit, to keep coming back to him, to keep listening to his word, to course correct our life. And the start of a year, the start of a series in Matthew seems like such a great opportunity to do that. Sometimes I think the greatest application, the greatest takeaway from a Bible passage isn't actually a list of do's and don'ts. It can be. And as we go through Matthew's gospel, we're going to hear a lot of Jesus' teaching. Come as well in the afternoons, the parables. We'll hear a lot of Jesus giving instructions for life, lived God's way, the right way. But we only know to follow those and to trust those if we've started, if our whole faith is grounded in knowing who Jesus really is, in receiving this testimony, human and divine, about who he is of seeing him, seeing, as it were, that diamond being held up, like the jeweler who holds it up to the light to see. Sometimes the greatest thing we can take away isn't that list of do's and don'ts. It's actually simply to look and to see the glory, the beauty of who Jesus is. 
the multifaceted wonder of the Son of God, to trust him, to know him, to want to follow him. One of the greatest helps I've ever heard in preaching was that picture of holding up the diamond, basically to, to get out of the way so people don't see you or your opinions and thoughts. The, the, the job really of preaching is to open up these pages of the Bible and then just hold up the diamond. Please, sir, we want to see Jesus printed on a church lectern, I know, somewhere. And I think that's the takeaway here at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. He's going to get into more detail. He's going to record for us big blocks of Jesus' teaching. He's going to tell us the story of what this righteous plan was that Jesus had come to do. But at the very start of his ministry, as he records the events around his baptism, he wants us to see, simply see, who Jesus is. The Son of God in whom the Father is well pleased. The one who is worth following. The pure and perfect diamond of all surpassing worth and value. The one in whom life finds its reason and its purpose and its hope. All those things because of who he is. So I'm just going to pray for us. Pray for us that we would, for the first time or yet again, see who Jesus is. That as we set off on this journey together through Matthew, following him, listening to him, seeking to be faithful disciples of him, that at the heart of it all would be this unshakable faith of who he is. So I invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to read these words. And let's ask the Lord to show us again who this Jesus is that we follow. As Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Lord Jesus, would you give us the same spiritual vision to see who you are. To know that we can trust you. Not to make life always comfortable. But for the right way to live with you, restored to the Father in the presence of your spirit and trusting that as we follow you, we walk with the one who is the way, the truth and the life. Give us that faith to know who you are, to love being with you and to trust you for this year, for all our years and for our eternity with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and respond and sing, Great is the Darkness.